Thank you for tuning into this webinar, Transitioning Your Business, Myths and Truths. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH Wealth Management. With decades of experience in successions, mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures, AGH's succession and exit planning team is here to help clients do it right. Given the implications and its importance, AGH has built up the resources and expertise to offer a holistic and comprehensive, yet tailored and straightforward process for business owners. Today's speakers are Brian Hanning and Brian Ginch. Brian Hanning is the Vice President of Insight Wealth Strategies. He works with family businesses and is known for his collaborative approach, a global view of the financial challenges of business owners, and his deep knowledge of estate planning, risk management, and tax-efficient strategies. In addition to his work with business owners, Brian enjoys showing a wide range of clients how to maximize their wealth and positively impact the causes and communities they care for using smart, tax-smart financial tools. Brian Ginch is the Vice President of AGH Wealth Management. He oversees private wealth portfolios and the comprehensive wealth planning service provided at the firm. Brian has over a decade of experience in integrating sound investment principles into custom portfolios that fit his clients' risk appetite and needs. Brian enjoys working with individual families and helping steward their wealth and has a history of working with business owners before, during, and after a business transition. As a CFP professional, Brian has committed to meet the standard of excellence for competent and ethical personal financial planning. Today's session examines some of the myths and truths associated with succession planning. The keys to a successful business transition and exit include personal readiness, business readiness, marketability, and family readiness. Today's webinar will address the personal readiness aspect and what business owners should be thinking about before their exit. Brian and Brian will discuss what seem to be certain myths and truths in the transition process of a business. Um, and thanks everybody for joining us for our webinar today, talking through business transitions. Uh, so today we want to add to and build on what we've talked about in past webinars as a transition team. Um, Brian, thanks for joining me today and excited to pick your brain. Yeah, glad to be here. So we really want to hone in on um, the personal readiness aspect of this business transition and what a business owner needs to be thinking about from uh, that standpoint. And so that's the purpose today. Uh, the way we're going to do this is we're going to have more of an interview format. Uh, so Brian and I work closely with many mutual clients in helping them through processes like a business transition. Uh, how it affects their personal financial pathway. And so it's, again, it's going to be fun to hear some of Brian's experience over his years of service. Um, and again, so the format is we're going to talk a little bit about the pre-transition period. And we'll talk about that in the form of some myths that uh, Brian and I have seen or observed, over, uh, especially over his tenure in the business. And then we'll talk about post-transition to the business and maybe some hard truths that we're also finding. Uh, and so that's just gonna be the way we structure our conversation today. Um, so before we get started, uh, we'd like to ask our first of four survey questions that are required for the uh, CPE credit. So the first question, who is our audience today? Uh, are you a professional uh, who works with business owners? Are you a family or non-family business owner? or have we somehow attracted some other person who will be gleaning from Brian's wisdom? One of the beauties of working at AGH, in my opinion, is we not only have a diverse group of professionals that give us different perspectives and vantage points to our clients, but we also work with many other professionals uh, who have deep relationships with their clients who are outside of our firm. Um, I think that's collaboration is really important uh, and it's an important part of driving the best value we can to our clients and giving them, you know, the best experience as they're growing through a transition like this. So uh, appreciate the, uh, the responses. Looks like we have a nice uh, mix of professionals and business owners. So glad you're all here. Okay, so let's get started. So Brian, one one of the myths that we see in working with people is this thought process of, you know, hey, letting go of my business is going to be easy. I'm going to be ready to walk away when the time comes. So talk a little bit about how you've dealt with that with clients and what you've experienced. Well, it's a great question. And I think uh, it's 
pretty much all across the board, but in a lot of cases, uh, you know, I always refer to entrepreneurs like this, fiercely independent, who had usually gone with an idea and built, uh, you know, a successful business because of, of their uh, knowledge of, of the work trade that they're in and been very focused on that. And in many cases, uh, you know, what we see is not often do they spend the time that they need to really prepare for uh, a future event like a transition or an exit. And uh, consequently, they procrastinate, you know, wait until the last minute. And that causes its own set of problems. And not having a successor identified or a, um, you know, a proper process for being, uh, making sure the business is ready uh, to sell, for example, or how they will, you know, unwind it, you know, uh, effectively. And uh, so you, you see them all across the board, you know, in terms of, of being prepared mentally and, and emotionally. But in a lot of cases, uh, it's also very hard emotionally to let go mm. when uh, the business has been really part of the family. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's as important or more important than their own kids in some cases. Yeah. Talk about that identity crisis, because we talk about how we all develop this work or career identity. And for a business owner, there's even more into it because, you know, in some cases they've either, either built the business from scratch or yeah. they've, you know, they've been handed a business from a, a family or they, they took a big risk and jumped into a new business. And so that, that, that identity that we have, and then all of a sudden just being disjointed with that. Yeah. So, you know, again, there's different extremes to that, but a lot of times people haven't developed good outside um, hobbies or, or things that they enjoy doing. A lot of people think, you know, I'm going to sell the business and travel a lot, uh, only to find out that, you know, they're, they, they get to the point in, in age where they're in these, you know, slow-go years where they, they just start, uh, you know, slowing down and don't have the energy, you know, to do the things that, that they thought. So there's you know, from an identity standpoint, the business has been their identity, you know, for so long. Sometimes that's very hard for them to let go of it and hand it off to somebody else. But but they deny that, you know, early on. And so what we like to do is, is try to spend time, you know, with as much time beforehand. Five to seven years is not an unreasonable amount of time, but it's a pretty uh, quick period of time to be able to make a transition like that. But if we can get in front of people and work through some of those issues uh, sooner than later, it's it's a lot more effective for them being able to let go at the right time. Sure. I know in our financial planning process, we take people through a value exercise and right. really try to hone in on, on that aspect of it uh, to give them that idea creation of what, what the next season in life looks like and how they can still maintain some of those identities that they have, but in just a different format. Yeah, and it's it's really fun to take them through that that exercise and also do that with the spouse if they have one, you know, to uh, to be able to make sure that you're meshing, you know, the the, the two together. Because a lot of times the, the inactive spouse doesn't even know, you know, certain things about, you know, the, the owner, you know, the business and uh, what they're going through. So being able to help them understand what their value systems are, what's important to them, especially at that very moment, because it can change a little bit over time too, is, is val very valuable, you know, to the process. Sure. Okay, so another thing uh, that, you know, we see frequently when your wealth is tied up in your business and then it becomes cash. Uh, business owners particularly are really good at controlling and managing those businesses they own. And sometimes it's, you know, it's multiple businesses uh, and that's something they thrive at. It's why they're successful. It's typically, you know, a major reason why they even have a business that's been successful down the road is because they're good at it. But talk about the transition then, uh, because another myth I think we find as we talk with business owners is managing their business uh, well means they're going to have all the tools necessary to manage their wealth once it's liquidated or once yeah. it becomes cash. Yeah, I think the myth there is they think it's easy, you know, to manage liquid wealth, uh, you know, because they've managed the business all these years. But what they uh, be become good at doing is really understanding their trade and their industry, you know, and spending their time and thought process. I mean, they lay they lay in bed thinking about it. They wake up thinking mm -hmm. about, you know, how to maximize you know, the value of their business, you know, while they're working, only to find out when it does turn uh, to cash, 
now they got to hand it off to somebody else because they don't know, you know, where to even start or, you know, they, they don't do anything uh, effectively, you know, to uh, be able to put it into the market or know how to do that, you know, in a way that uh, is within their risk tolerances and things like that. So it gets very confusing. We, I've, I've found some people when they get to that point actually paralyzed. Uh, the other thing I find too is a lot of, a lot of times they, they don't even invest in stock market or, or other stock correlated, you know, assets because uh, they didn't understand it that mm. well, you know, during their uh, income, you know, and business uh, growth years and everything. And the reason they never made any money there, they would always say is because I always gave somebody else to, uh, to mm. do it for me, you know, and had a bad experience because they, you know, ended up, you know, buying high and selling low, doing the very things that, you know, you're not supposed to do, you know, when, when it comes to fundamentally investing in the market in an effective way. So, you know, entrepreneurs by, by nature are very independent. And, and I think sometimes that's, that's worked to their detriment. So what we tried to do is really help them understand how to balance that approach and be, uh, you know, prepared for it when it happens. And, and most people, and, you know, when they get to that point, they're, they're okay with handing it off to somebody else as long as they understand, mm -hmm. you know, how it's supposed to work and, uh, you know, do it within their risk tolerances and, and all the right reasons, you know, because managing assets for accumulation is one thing. Mm. It's when you're taking it out and during a distribution phase, as, as you know, is, is also a very different thing. And so helping them understand how all that works is, is I think, very valuable as well. Yeah, I think what, one of the things I've observed um, just over the uh, less experience than you that I've put a bit of able to work with people and I've been able to help manage some of their parts of their portfolio or part mm -hmm. of their wealth um, is that aspect of as a business. I mean, a lot of times you're analyzing, you're looking at something day to day, month to month. Um, and when we're dealing with liquid markets where we're still investing in businesses, but businesses, albeit we don't have control right. over, um, it's, it's, it can be a lot more emotional to you know invest in it month to month because in a liquid portfolio, you know every day you wake up what someone's willing to pay for that stock you may own. Right. Right. Where maybe in the business you didn't. You, you knew what you thought the value was or what your book value was, or we'll get into some of that too. But um but you you didn't you didn't see it change every day. And right. so then we get a week like last week. Yeah. Right. Week was brutal. <laughs> last week was brutal. Yeah. You know, four thousand or so points off the Dow and yeah. Uh, you know, today, even with the Fed, you know, lowering uh, rates and the market didn't respond well to that so far. So you have all these things that create this this anxiety yeah. and uh, because maybe it's just a little bit more transparent and less control. It, totally out of their control. And yeah. I think control is a big feature, sure. you know, working with entrepreneurs and yeah. business owners. Yeah, absolutely. OK, so another thing then we see as um, as we work with business owners um, um, as they're waiting and approaching that transition period, sometimes there's this sense of optimism about the business that they've created. Um, and what uh, we see a lot of times, especially in smaller, closely held businesses, is the owner really tends to have a, a huge impact in that business of success. I mean, a huge impact in many cases. And so one of the things that we and C is the myth that the business is going to just do well and do fine without me. Sometimes a business owner is so ready, you know, just to get out of the business or retire or move on to the next phase in life that you know, they kind of create this undue optimism or misguided optimism that the business is going to just continue to be as successful as it was, was with them as, as it will be when they walk away. Yeah. And maybe that's not quite accurate. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's interesting when when uh, you have a mature business uh, that you're going along and it's growing and and uh, a the business owner will have a couple of key people, you know, that they're able to, you know, all of a sudden now they're able to take a couple of weeks off and you know not worry much about the day-to-day -day operations and they're coming back and everything's still you know hitting stride. I think the fallacy is, uh, you know, the short term. Uh, success that they're having doesn't always equal into a long-term success because the, the business owners typically had, you know, the relationships, you know, on, on key customers and those sort of things. And I think, uh, you know, what we find is a lot of times when we go through a valuation process, for example, is, is you know, uh, a good valuation expert will, 
needs to be able to understand what are the value drivers. And if one of them is the business owner, you know, that needs to be evaluated and taken into consideration, you know, for, you know, the what ifs, you know, what, what's the price going to look like? What's the value of the business really worth, you know, if we take the owner out of it, whether it's, you know, through a death, disability, or even selling the business, and the, and he's walking away as from an exit strategy, uh, that's that's got to be vital, you know, to being able to, you know, figure out a true valuation. So I think there's a fallacy in, in a lot of business owners, um, you know, course of, of, of work and how they think about their ability to be able to walk away and not impact the business. Uh, I, th I think there's a, a huge uh, you know, deficit there sometimes that they're not really considering. So giving them a 360 or, or kind of a, a retrospective you know, uh, mm. review of that, I think is really important you know, to being able to do that and know for sure. Well, because that valuation is pretty important to them. And if it's an external sale, Right, that valuation could typically come in as a lump sum, and and that that dictates then all of a sudden complete liquid wealth. And whereas maybe in an internal sale, when it's going to maybe a family member um, or just internal management sale, you know, to maybe some managers in, internally, um, that that may be more of an ongoing cash flow for a few for years going forward. And so it affects your plan differently too. And so if you're coming at it with a valuation that's not what the true value might be at the sale in mind, that can really affect the personal plan. No, there's no question about it. And I think, again, taking enough time, uh, you know, lead time before they get to that point of selling. So, you know, anywhere from five to 10 years is, is really, you know, the minimum of what we would say. It's really identifying their goals and expectations, you know, early on. And if they do have a desire to to retire, exit, or sell the business at a future point in time. Let's figure out what that looks like today. Let's take a snapshot of where they're at today, and let's figure out what are the drivers that, you know, that are there, and then let's figure out what the landmines are, you know, that would keep them from achieving, you know, that those goals and meeting those expectations from that standpoint. Uh, I, and I think I think that alleviates a lot of the pro problem, of, you know, this fallacy of them thinking that, you know, business doesn't need me. Yeah, great. All right, so... Um be a good transition then into our second survey question. Um, so many times when we're working with business owners, we ask for an indication of value for their business to be able to put uh, on their net worth statement or their balance sheet. And that number a lot of times is coming from very different ideologies. And so we thought it'd be interesting to see how other people uh, value their business or if it's they work with clients of theirs, how their clients typically value you know their business because uh, there again there's a lot of ways mm -hmm. people people can do that what do you see commonly well multiples you know of, of EBITDA a lot of times is is how you know we'll see it out there and that'll uh, cycle sometimes you know because of uh, economy uh, you may be going great right now there's probably some pretty high multiples out there but uh, usually that's you know the best way you know we've seen it or the most common way I should say not necessarily the best way. It really kind of depends on the industry that they're in. And, sure. and you know, IRS has got seven different ways they're going to value it, uh, you know, potentially. So it's just coming up with one that makes the most sense. It's interesting, our results, because it's really spread around. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. multiples of profit, multiples of revenue based on comparable businesses on book value. So kind of driving home that point that we do come at a valuation of a business very differently. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, what the real value might be. I mean, the difference in those could be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars sometimes, Very depending on how you're trying yeah. to value it inside your head, so. Well, and we always say valuation is an art form. It's not a science. It's not a perfect science. So it's, sure. it's really, you know, when you're selling a business, just, you know, what's what's somebody willing to pay for it? You know, as much right. as anything. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, back to the stock market. Yeah. <laughs> Last week, not many people were willing to pay yeah. uh, what the prices were at, okay. Moving on, uh, so stick on the family business for a little bit. We know uh, not all of our listeners uh, obviously are family business owners um, or even business owners, but uh, we deal with a lot of family businesses that we work with in our firm. So just stick in on that for a couple minutes. Another myth that we see is the family business owner feeling the readiness of his successor or her successor and say, thinking that their readiness is pretty high uh, to take over. Maybe because they've been in the business since you know they were teenagers sweeping floors, uh, and they just 
they think there's this obvious uh, obvious osmosis of knowledge that they should know how the business is run because you've been here for you know ever since you were old enough to work. Uh, talk about that myth and how that can uh, sometimes backfire. Well, I think it's it's a very common uh, situation that we run into that you know business owner has identified somebody and the question is you know how have they communicated it you know to to other people and and prepare you know say their key employee group or their key managers that are maybe non-family you know if it's a family member or whatever the situation is. how how ready is the rest of the business you know to accept you know a, a new you know person coming on in charge uh, is one thing second thing is you know how equipped are they you know uh, how do they know you know that they're equipped and ready you know to be able to to take over and if they haven't used you know some sort of third party uh, evaluation system uh, it's there's a pretty good chance that there there's some holes some gaps and some things that uh, they may not be ready you know for uh, should they hand it off too soon you know kind of thing so so there are processes there are systems there's proven processes that'll work to be able to prepare that successor to be ready to go. Uh, and I highly encourage people, you know, mm -hmm. to make sure they're working with a third party, you know, group to be able to evaluate that. Let's, let's sit on this for a second, um, which means we may have to skip another myth if we run out of time, but I want to flip it because uh, that's a, another thing I think we see a lot is, and I think you sort of mentioned it too, is that maybe the successor feels like they're ready but the business owner doesn't yet feel that way. And so now yeah. it's a, now and now it's a waiting game. Yeah, exactly. And 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 they're scared to mention it, you know, or they do and it gets blown off, you know, uh, in the course mm -hmm. of a of a review or conversation. So I think it, it, it there we do a lot of coaching as you know, uh, you know, both sides of that to be able to uh, help people communicate properly. And and by the way, most closely held business owners you know, are, are really good at what they do, but they're not always the best communicators, you know, when it comes right down to it, because they've always done things a certain way. And when they've grown, a lot of times they've outgrown their own abilities, you know, to be able to communicate effectively. So what they're thinking, you know, everybody else is thinking, you know, usually is, is something different, you know, in a lot of cases. Yeah, and I think in a family business, I mean, that the, the detriment to that is can be you wait too long, and all of a sudden that successor that you don't think they're ready, but they're the successor. All of a sudden, they're not there anymore. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You're losing. Yeah. Uh, one more on the family businesses side of things. Um, talking about that successor choice. Uh, maybe the successor is ready. Uh, maybe a family business owner really has done a great job of helping them get ready. So they're both on the same page. But uh, sometimes we see there's not just one person, not one family member in the business, right? So uh, you know, one family member um, is easy to to decide if you know who's taking over. But when you have multiple, uh, talk about the myth of the whole family really agreeing on that choice. And maybe it's maybe we're just back to the communication issue, right? But right. Um, but what that you know when the successor and the business owner are on the same page, but you have multiple people, how important is that communication broader yeah. than just them two? So I, again, communication being a key there, I, I, I think I've been fortunate to see a lot of successful uh, transitions on successors that uh, owners have, have chosen. And let's say they're family members uh, and there's multiple family members in the business. I've often, I've seen several times actually where the younger sibling is actually a better choice, you know, to run the company than the oldest one. Mm -hmm. And that's been successful. But the reason it was successful is because it was identified early. They were evaluated uh, for their giftedness and their skill sets. And then it was communicated in a family meeting to everyone else. Know, to everyone else. Yeah. And so there was, a, there was a very intentional process to being able to make sure everybody was on the same page. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, not even the, the right successor, you know, in that situation may not be perfect you know, kind of thing. So it's sure. building this, this kind of this grace period, you know, to be able to help them work through, you know, the things they may fall short on and equip them, you know, through other methods, whether it be third party or seminars or whatever else sure. or coach or whatever. And usually that that's a recipe for a good successful transition too. And the impact 
of being highly communicative during that process and so everyone really being on the same page that only doesn't empower the family but that empowers the rest of the company for you sure see that right and yeah and see and have confidence in that next stage of ownership yeah and and that you know that there's not this there's not this dichotomy of thought out there that well these people think it's this which could run this way and these person this but really that unity probably strengthens the whole employee base it does and and I, i'll throw one other little wrench in there too is if when you have married siblings uh a lot of times uh you know the the in-laws you know the the spouses to to the to the siblings can cause a lot of the problem if they don't completely understand you know what's been sure. you know going on too so i think there's there there can be some real complications and and uh, multiple dynamics going on with that that people need to head uh, you know, uh, be out in front of, you know, to be able to head them off. Great. Okay. So moving away, um, uh, from that, uh, the kind of, let's go to the post transition, understanding what the next years hold. Another thing we see is that people really, they don't spend a ton of time figuring out what uh, they may need personally. Uh, so talk about uh, financially, that is, talk yeah. about the transition and the question of, you know, how much do I need? Or I don't think I have enough, or I, I have plenty, uh, you yeah. know, in this business that will satisfy my income needs. People say they've got plenty. Other people say they don't, but sometimes they're both wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, all over the board on this one, but uh, usually, you know, what, what we find is, uh, again, entrepreneurs that, that have built a business and maybe lived a, uh, a nice lifestyle, you know, a lot of times I, I wouldn't, if you asked them if they had a personal budget, they'd look at you like you have four <laughs> heads, you know, but they could tell you exactly what the business, you know, spends from a budget standpoint, but they have no idea what they spend. They just know what they, you know, take home after, you know, tax, you know, kind of thing. And, and they spend as they, yeah. they desire, right? Sure. So, when, when it gets to the point where they're where they're creating an exit plan or a say a, a post sale of the business plan for retirement and lifetime income, you're right. They, there, there's some that that think they've got way too much. You know, most people don't think they have enough. You know, but nobody really has sat down to really figure it out. And the other thing that throws a little bit of of a wrinkle in the, in the whole process is how much has the business been covered on their personal normalizing yeah so yeah. normalizing the the financial statements and if you're getting ready to sell a business that's you know imperative a good valuation you know expert's going to require that you know you pull out the personal things so it's not unusual as, as you know for us to find somebody thinking you know they might need $150,000 to live when in truth they're spending about 250 you know because the business is covering so many other things like cars vehicles mm -hmm. whatever else gas sure. you know kind of thing and so uh, I, I think I think taking people through a process of really helping them, you know, figure that out. Nobody really likes to sit down and figure it out to the penny, but having a, a closer idea of a good ballpark. Uh, there's been times when I've gone through that exercise and doubled it, you know, because I knew they had enough resources to cover it, but also give them peace of mind, you know, that they're going to be okay that margin and knowing that they were going to spend it anyway, you yeah. know, kind of thing. So it, it just kind of you know, it depends on the situation, but that's not uncommon. Yeah, I think in my experience, for a fiercely independent entrepreneur, the word budget's a four-letter word. Right. It's not. Well, to some of them. And, yeah. and well, it's, yeah, it's, it beca just because of the busyness and to have to sit down and because they may be comfortable knowing, and maybe they are spending within their means. Yeah. And there is not going to be an issue of running out of money. And it's not, not so much what we're trying to get to is them to, dial in how much they spend on groceries right it's we want to know what the excess is because that's what we have to decide on how are you or we have to help them decide on how are you putting it at risk now to grow um or how is it being left behind from a tax standpoint yeah and so all the different areas that then become part of that distribution plan uh which then feeds into the legacy plan yeah yeah so there's lifestyle the legacy as we call it you know in our, in our process but but uh it's not unusual to find somebody you know, really drill down, figure that out, only to see that they only need about 30% of their assets, you know, after selling their business to really meet their life, mm -hmm. lifetime goals comfortably. Yeah. So now the question is, what do you do with everything else? And that's right. where you mentioned the legacy piece. Yeah. And, and that's important too. So 
it's funny uh, how many times people have discounted Social Security income, and then we put it in the plan, we show them the actual impact of it over the next 30 years of their life, uh, or 20 years of their life, and it actually can become a huge impact to right. that overall situation with then changes the need that needs to come out of the business or and back to what you're saying so maybe there's a legacy aspect to it where we can gift some of our business now to the kids or we want to donate some of the value of the business to charity before we sell it so there's a lot of creates opportunities and huge and opportunities other efficiencies too sure um so one more item um on kind of we'll stick back to the pre we talked a little bit that was a little bit post transition but we'll go back to pre transition myth uh but before we do that we'll uh, take our third polling question so again we're satisfying the cpe credits so uh, what we'd like to know is for the businesses that you work with as a professional or if it's your own business um how often do you see a buy sell agreement or a written business succession plan in place uh, and as we're answering, you know, Brian, kind of talk about this myth of, you know, my spouse is going to be taken care of. So in the context of a family business or a non-family business, you know, who is married and has a spouse or has a family, and then it has maybe a business partner, you know, what about this notion of my spouse is going to be taken care of if I die prematurely and how, you know, not having a good buy-sell agreement or not having an actual written plan could really affect that. Yeah. You know, we, we always say, you know, um, talking to, to uh, business owners, you know, a lot of times you just ask them, we, we use the beer truck, you know, scenario, and you, you walk out today and get hit by the beer truck, you know, what happens, you know, uh, how's that impact your family and, and especially your, your spouse in this case. And, uh, you know, it's sometimes, you know, they, they have a, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of a naive, you know, impression of what, what they think will happen, but, but it always boils down to what are the documents, what are the agreements, you know that uh, that that are in place to be able to assure you know that that they're going to be taken care of you know and then what are the assets you know they have to work with so when we find buy sell agreements you know it's not unusual to ask a, a client you know or prospect you know uh, do you have a buy sell agreement and the answer is often yes you know the question is do you know where it's at yeah. you know do you know what it says and when was the last time you updated it so it's it's very common you know to find very outdated you know, uh, buy sell agreements along with wills and trusts and those sort of things too. And uh, so we'll, what we always try to do is encourage people, even if they say they have one, you know, let's find it, let's look at it, let's make sure that it's meeting, you know, the objectives, you know, you're looking, you know, uh, looking at. And if you got a partnership or whatever, we always, you know, tell clients, you know, if something happens to your partner, you want your wife to be, be you know, in business with you know essentially uh, her and their attorney you know because that's what's going to happen you know at the end of the day if they don't have it you know set up properly and you know a good valuation process built into the agreement you know as well so nobody wants to get in that that position it happens you know from time to time when you hear those kind of horror stories it usually wakes people up you know to you know take a look at what what they've got and make sure that it's you know up to date yeah, and like our results show on the polling, you know, uh, oftentimes there isn't one in place. Um, there's not a, uh, there's not some sort of written plan, and so you do find that that spouse, that surviving spouse, or that the surviving you know, kids, and they're and they're all of a sudden in business with yeah uh, with an attorney or yeah <laughs> yeah and, and yeah, it's, it's it's really it's unnecessary because it can be avoided. You know, but it needs to be thought out. And you know, we, we sometimes call it a continuity plan or a contingency yeah. plan. Uh, but those are those are the easiest plans put in place today. The harder ones are to figure out, you know, what's your long term plan, you know, and, and then adjust, you know, with that. And that comes back to, you know, how important that business owner maybe was to the value of that business. So all of a sudden they're gone. Yeah. Is the value of that business the value of them being alive? You as find out real quick. Gone. And, and if that's where all their wealth was stored to them you know, take care of a surviving spouse, you know, all of a sudden that can become, that that can bring some jeopardy to the situation. It sure can. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, we'll transition, do some truths. Um, you know, what we've seen and what you've seen is working with clients through these transitions. Uh, we talked a lot about the hard emotional aspect of moving from being in a business into being out of the business, but talk about it from um, maybe a, a money standpoint 
And some of the truths that we have seen when a business turns to cash and all of a sudden more money, more problems. So talk about you know, what does that mean, first of all, uh, in this context and, um, and why all of a sudden does liquidity create issues? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind when when I think about, you know, how li liquidity can become an issue is, you know, dealing with just the emotional aspect of, of letting go of the business and then having to manage the, you know, the money, you know, to begin with. So once they get past that, you know, then the next question is, you know, how much do they need out of that, that pile of money, you know, to live off of? And if there's surplus, then, you know, how does that, you know, impact? Uh, the family, and then others, meaning that could be the IRS, could be charity, you know, whatever it is. So I, what we find, as you know, is when we go through reviews with clients, you know, on a frequent basis, have an abundance of wealth, a lot of times they're they're overwhelmed, you know, with decisions they need to make, especially as they're aging families, you know, mature, they have grandkids and those sort of things. It becomes sometimes a little paralyzing, you know, to figure out, okay, well, you know, how am I going to make sure that everybody's taken care of? And how am I going to make sure that they're dealt with on a fair and equal basis, mm. you know, which is a big question mark, you know, as to what's fair and equal, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be dollar for dollar, you know, depending on what the situation, you know, looks like. So I think there's times when uh, sometimes it can get a little overwhelming when you think about it. And, uh, you know, sometimes we see people trying to let the tax tail wag the dog, mm. you know, so to speak, yeah. and, and try to make, you know, uh, good long-term decisions, but you letting the tax implications, you know, drive those decisions. While, you know, in most cases, you can create zero state tax plans and those sort of things, those need to be thought through, you know, carefully to make mm -hmm. sure that it's going to meet your overall, you know, goals and expectations and take care of everybody that you want to take care of along the way. Yeah, it's interesting. There's, when when the business is the business, there's one goal, make the business successful when the business become cash, all of a sudden there's a million different ways you can use that cash. Do we go buy a new business? Do we, you know, do we keep it liquid? Do, you know, and so all of a sudden now choice becomes part of the equation. Yeah. Where before it wasn't, it was, no, you just run the business. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're dealing with, okay. And, and now this, that, that wealth part's more accessible to the kids. Yeah. Maybe. And so now that, now the fear becomes, you know, if now if, if I die and there's not this business that they get to go into, but now there's just, just cash. Yeah. You know, now now they have to look at their estate planning in yeah. a different light and, and how is how's that cash gonna be managed, make sure that, you know, there's there's no risks there of of you know, kind of wealth destruction. Right. Well, I and mean, when you look at it from an equalization standpoint too, it might not even mean that the whole family has all the cash, but one sibling maybe bought the business. And then the rest of the family, you know, has the cash and they're trying to figure out how to equalize that. Mm -hmm. And so it is a $10 million business worth the same as $10 million of cash over there. It's a hard question to answer, yeah. but it's, it's one they deal with all the time. All right. So um, let's talk about uh, the advisors for the businesses and the owners and who they have around them, especially successful business been run well uh they've you know they've probably built a good advisory board around them uh and whether you know they all collaborate or not is one thing but a lot of times the advisors who they've chosen are uniquely fit to handle their current situation of owning a business uh, then all of a sudden maybe there's a transition and not for all of them but sometimes now for some of these uh these same advisors uh, are they are they not as equipped to handle this, a new phase of life, and I understand. I realize this is a this is a tough question because obviously, you know, an advisor to a client doesn't isn't just good in one scenario, you know, where they own a business. But talk about when there's a transition like this. Is there a reason to look at all your advisors to try to just do a check? Yeah, and make sure that you haven't somehow outgrown or maybe maybe undergrown. I mean, we have clients who. They sell a business and all of a sudden it's not as complex anymore right. and some of the complexity they were paying for maybe they don't need right and maybe vice versa well you know i think it, it's it's not uncommon to start working with a person a business owner for example and developing a relationship and taking them through this process of helping them identify the uh, kind of landmines you know and the gaps that they have you know in, in their plan 
defining their goals, defining their expectations, and then you know laying out a plan that sounds satisfactory. And then you get to the implement, implementation point of that, and all, all of a sudden you find out that their brother-in-law is managing their money or their brother-in-law is their, their um, tax advisor or, or their best friends, their attorney, whatever it may be. And we need a good, say, estate planning attorney, you know, kind of thing. And, and this guy's a litigator, you know, but he happened mm-hmm. to write their trust, you know. So all those things need need to be analyzed. And I, I think what it's not unusual to find a great plan that's designed uh, get thwarted because a an advisor that the owner you know is trusted and and grown up with, you know, didn't feel comfortable with it. So so you know they decided to just pull the plug and and not do anything. Collaboration among all the advisors mm-hmm. is imperative. That's the biggest key. It's the biggest key. So if you have a good plan, use that as a guiding you know document to be able to direct everybody. So the owner technically is responsible and and has the authority you know, to, to orchestrate all the, the advisors, but they're typically not equipped, you know, to do that comfortably. So making sure that you have an advisor that understands all the multiple disciplines that go into uh, making sure there's successful implementation is crucial, in my opinion, because one, uh, you know, negative advisor that feels like they're threatened mm. or whatever, you know, can can change the whole, you know, complexion of, of the plan and, and, uh, and, and, and maybe not have a plan, you know, go forward at all, you know, after that point. And if you all, if you do have advisors that are collaborating, that's, that's, I, I still think that's unique in this in industry, the in the yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah. because I, I'm shocked how many, how hard it is sometimes to, to collaborate uh, with other advisors, you know, and even sometimes I, you know, there's multiple money managers and, and we're working together. Yeah. And even trying to reach out to another money manager, you know, they can feel threatened. Absolutely. <laughs> and we're, yeah. look, we're not trying to, we're, we're we're all collaborating here. We're not, you know, but but there's just this innate thought that oh, you're competing with me. You're stepping on my toes. And you're stepping on my toes. Yeah, and and that's where it's so critical to make sure you got a clear set of, of goals and objectives, and make that the you know the driver. Yeah. You know, it's, yep. it's all about the client. You know, yep. where they're trying to go. Yep. So talk about um, you know, this transition into what may be coined retirement. Retirement's becoming a a different meaning these days a lot of people were calling it work optional life uh maybe but talk about the, the three different uh areas it's not all the same what's the difference between yeah. these three different well um you know i being over 60 myself and everything <laughs> I, I i remember the go-go years but they're becoming further and further behind me and so you know when, when working with with clients trying to transition their businesses and you know and maybe you know, think that they're going to have this energy to be able to go, you know, forever. Uh, It's just, it doesn't happen. You know, we all go through these phases and stages of our our lives that, uh, you know, we're, I I call it managing deterioration. You know, we're all just kind of, you know, aging. And uh, so making sure that that in the in the planning process, we understand what a go-go, you know, stage of life might look like to them. And trying to give them a, a realistic, you know, look at, you know, what that might be if, if they think they can do it forever. They're not. Mm-hmm. And so everybody moves into a slow go, those slow go years where, you know, they may have the same amount of income, but they're using it for different things. And it might mm-hmm. be health related. Yeah. Know, a lot of times, you know, you ship, say, your travel budget into, a, you know, a health account because you, you don't have the health to be able to travel like you used to. And then the no-go years are, are, you know, pretty obvious. I mean, you're really just kind of at the twilight of, of your uh, lifespan and, uh, you know, you're, you're spending your time, you know, in different things. And again, you're probably maintaining health as much as anything. And at this point, you're maybe mostly just surviving. Yeah, surviving, <laughs> what, you know, but slow uh, down. yeah. And, and, and sometimes that can change your yeah. income need yep. uh, at that point. Uh, may, it may be a lot less than what you spent, obviously, in the go-go or slow-go years. But, uh, you know, it, it depends on everybody's situation. Yeah. Part of why having an active plan where you're constantly re-looking at it helps you from getting caught in this stage of life where you didn't plan for that was more expensive than you expected it to be. Yeah. Um. Talk about this truth. Someone's planning your aging years, and if it's not you, 
it might be someone else. What does that mean? Well, um, you know, I, I think a lot of times, and I see this quite a few times, actually, even more recently, because as I'm aging up, you know, my parents are aging and, and my friends' parents are aging. And, and a lot of times we, we, you know, again, we think we're, we're kind of almost live forever or there's going to be a, a better time to be able to, you know, do the planning. But uh, I think it's, it's come to reality, uh, you know, and doing a reality check on ourselves to make sure that we know that, uh, you know, it's okay to plan ahead and be able to, you know, do things like long-term care, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, mm -hmm. if you've ever taken a parent through long-term care, mm -hmm. you know what that's like yeah. and the costs that are involved with that. And I see that and hear that more than ever, you know? So I think, you know, being proactive and trying to be out in front of, you know, the aging process and working with your kids and or your other close friends on that, I think is, is a valuable, you know, piece of the planning process. Absolutely. All right, so um, as we transition to our final discussion, uh, we'll ask our final survey question. Um, how old is your estate planning documents? As a, as a planner, I learned fairly quickly, it's, it's not enough to just ask someone if they have a will or a trust. Um, asking questions about how old those documents are or if there's been substantial changes to the family since uh, those documents have been written are much more important. Mm -hmm. uh, to know than if just they they have them in place and so I've spoken with clients I know you have too uh, and you know these documents were over 30 years old um, so so talk about uh, talk about that and how um, yeah. and, and as we as we as we get into the the question you know being how old is your estate plan uh, just talk about kind of how what you've seen and you experienced gosh I, we, there's a lot of horror stories you know and, and thank God you know uh, people hadn't died when, when we read some of their wills and their trusts sometimes because, you know, they've got somebody as a trustee that may not even be alive themselves anymore or, you know, a, a son or a daughter that went, you know, wayward, you know, with, with drugs or whatever. It's it's very common to find outdated, you know, uh, state documents. And uh, and I just highly recommend I've I've seen it where you know, the attorneys have used boilerplates and, and had names of people that weren't even involved with the family, you know, in 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 those lines, you know, in the language of the, of, of the agreements. And uh, it's just critical to, to make sure people know what they've got, make sure they're updated, you know, for the right purposes. And I think there's a lot of misconception about what the role of an executor and trustee, you know, should be. And so consequently, they put the wrong people in there, because I guarantee and most people don't know what you know just because you name them as a trustee that's not a position of honor that's work <laughs> you know it may not happen until the event happens but there's a lot of responsibility you know in in those roles and so what we try to do is just you know uh, educate people on what that really means you don't get a lot of people lining up to be executors or trustees no not very often but uh, yeah yeah but, but i'd certainly and when it comes to a business owner uh, who has who's had a business? I mean that even that estate planning with a business involved that can create a complexity. As oh, well. huge complexity! And and so you know a lot of times again you take the the owner out of the business. You know what's that really mean to the business? It, sometimes it requires a little bit more of a team of advisors. To, you know to even advise a trustee or sure. or some someone along those lines. And our results show. I mean you know for those who responded over you know over half of them uh, over a decade old. Yeah. Um, and and so I think we say about every five years or so you want to just relook at. It doesn't mean you have to go amend it every five years. Right. You want to relook at your estate documents, make sure that yeah. that nothing has been substantially changed. And I do, I do mine almost every year, at least every other year. Well, you're in the business. I'm so. in the business, but, but I try to eat my own cooking. <laughs> okay, so if we're to walk away with uh, three takeaways, uh, maybe there's business owners or advisors out there to business owners. Um, uh, but talk about some of these takeaways uh, as far as what, you know, uh, what we hope to people to get out of this. Well, so having a formal indication of value for the business, you know, is critical. I mean, after goals and expectations, having that understanding of what the gap is, you know, for, for helping somebody, you know, get out of the business and, and live out the life that they want to uh, is really important. Um, I would also say that, you know, having the market drivers for being able to maximize the value of that business mm. is important too. <clears throat> Uh, create a purpose for post-business ownership. Uh, it's really, you know, uh, identifying the right successor and just having the right, you know, transition uh, plan in place. 
and developing a comprehensive financial plan that encompasses all the things, cash management, risk management, investment planning, tax savings, what's your lifetime income need, and estate planning goals. So it's just helping you know them understand what's enough for themselves, for their kids, and for everybody else. Great. Uh, and if uh, listeners want to, we've got some uh, some useful uh, resources. Talk about some of these resources that we have. Yeah. So so one of the things that we've seen is there's confusion in the marketplace too about what does it mean to to get evaluation you know done on on my business and there's what's called certified a certified valuation process, and that's used a lot of times for court, you know, uh, litigation, uh, maybe a, a charitable gift of, of a business could even be used for a business sale. Uh, but it's not always necessary, you know, for uh, what you know, owners are looking for. So what we, all, you know, talk about in terms of, of a non-certified you know, evaluation process is an indication of value. So there's tools that we have available that uh, we can give people. Uh, for an indication of value, which would be a range, you know, mm -hmm. kind of a high and low range, uh, but that gives them something to be able to substantiate, you know, what it is uh, their business may be worth, and it gives them a reality check, you know, about the things like, you know, how important are you to the business as an owner, uh, the normalization issues, you know, we talked about. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a it's a good, uh, I think it's a great tool. The AJHOneShot.com is uh, just a blog that we've, we've done with failures, uh, of business failures, and it's kind of entertaining, but it's also realistic in terms of some actual cases, in some cases, you know. So we're driving from failure. actual experience, but we're not, we're not, we're not giving an actual case. That right, we're, right, right. We're not we're, using. We're seeing, life. yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but they're not, but they're very uh, common, you know, situations. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's worthwhile to read just to kind of, uh, frame up, you know, what people, you know, should be thinking about. And we can do, you know, consulting. Uh, we, we, uh, we've been a part of the Kansas Family Business Forum, you know, for, for 25 years. Uh, we've consoled all the time with people and, and we love meeting with people to, you know, hear how we can add value to what, what's going on in their lives. So a non-threatening uh, resource we have at the website uh, where we have our succession exit planning service is there's a, a, a survey someone can take of you know, readiness for a business assessment. transition yeah. assessment. Um, uh, very non-threatening, just a, a good way to indicate kind of all the different areas you're looking at. And out of all those areas, you know, how well equipped are you or have you gotten to? And so, uh, uh, that which usually can end up into a consultation if they want. Yep. Uh, so I did say the word market, and I did say we talked about that last about last week. So you know uh, we have some disclosures just to show you know we're not giving specific legal advice, specific tax advice, specific investment advice here. This is uh, this was to inform you of holistically of what it looks like to go through a transition. Some of the things that Brian's experienced, we've experienced uh, over um, over the years of service. Uh, Brian, thanks for taking the time to be interviewed. Uh, nice getting your perspective. Um, uh, and and uh, we thanks, of course, to everyone who joined us. And, uh, and so, yeah, with that. Uh